Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the East End of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com And we are recording. And we are recording and it's, I'm hiding in my house today. It's August. I don't go out if I don't have to. It's been, been kind of crazy there. The roads have been nutty lately. I don't know about you guys, but I've had, I've had a lot of people like just coming at me head on in my lane for no obvious reason. You know, maybe it just is a little harder to turn that wheel to go around that corner. Why are you in their way? And I just get out of their way. Let's just do a London thing. Come on, let's just switch lanes. You go there, I'll go here. (laughs) They have places to be. I may have mentioned this before, but last week I had the unique experience of somebody on County Road 39 cutting me off and flipping me off at the same time. So, oh, the last time I drove home, I'm going east on 39, and it was the light by, I think, where Sandy Hollow hits 39. And this wasn't the first time I've seen this, but a car gets into the left turning lane, speeds up with his left turn signal on, gets all the way to the end, throws on his right turn signal, goes straight. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. You must yeah. do it every it's day. It's like fake left, go right. I know that's yeah. a big one now. <laughs> I'm in Springs and I, you know, I'm in Sac Harbor today in the office, but generally I'm trying because it's August to stay in Springs and then I drive to Amagansett to pick my kids up. And there are a lot of four-way stops on my way. And I just feel like I'm in constant risk of my life being taken out of my own hands because I just can't trust that anybody is going to follow the rules of the road because they, they're just not. It's, it's not. a free-for-all. I don't think they know the rules of the road. I think that's pretty much. No, I think they don't care. No, they don't care. But we care, which is why we we're here. We do care. <laughs> and and back with us, as usual, our old faithful, Bill Sutton. Hey, Bill. Hey, Annette. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the Express News Group. And we also have Brendan O'Reilly with us today. Hey, Brendan. Hi, I'm Brendan. I'm the features editor. And we have Catherine G. Manu back with us this week. This is fun. Hey, Georgie. <laughs> It's good to be back, and I'm Catherine Manu, um, otherwise known as Georgie, and I am one of the publishers of the Express News Group. And we have Joe Shaw back with us again. Hiya, Joe. Hi, Annette. I'm Joe Shaw. I'm the executive editor. And I'm Annette Hinkle, and I'm the arts and living editor of the Express News Group. And today we thought it would be sort of interesting to talk about um, our most recent Express session, which um, was on the topic of vaccine hesitation. And we had a really interesting panel I thought that really kind of ran the gamut of um, of interests, and it, the idea was trying to, to gauge not only what different segments of the population are expressing in terms of their hesitancy, but also to get reassurance from um, a few physicians on the panel who talked about how the vaccines are made and um, sort of some of the statistics about safety and and the the unsafety of getting the Delta variant of COVID, which has been really devastating and shows no signs of abating anywhere in this country, and I think is even rising as we speak here on the East End of Long Island. So Joe, I thought maybe, do you want to talk a little bit, because you were the moderator of that panel, about who we had on and, and um, sort of jump us off with the discussion of where it went? Sure. We called it getting the facts on the COVID vaccine. And I think the goal was 
to try and and do just that. You know, a lot of the the narrative that's out there right now is that the you know there are certainly some people who are vehemently opposed to getting the COVID vaccine, and I don't think they're going to change their minds. But there's a big swath of people who haven't gotten the vaccine yet, and it's because either of access issues, it's because uh, they have questions that haven't been answered and they're, and they're still hesitant because of that. And there's people who are working on a lot of misinformation that's been disseminated. Um, and so our goal was just to at least contribute to trying to get some facts out to people. So we brought a panel together. There was a mix of local leaders who have been really active in getting vaccines into the community and some medical experts who I think were, you know, with, with, with all respect to the local officials who I think really added a lot to the conversation. I think having those medical professionals um, on the panel and being able to discuss uh, the vaccine in very specific medical terms was just incredibly valuable. And, and I think we got a lot of good information out. So the panelists, the medical folks included Dr. Sharon Nachman from Stony Brook University Hospital, who I believe is a pediatrician by, by training, but, but also is sort of an infectious disease expert. Uh, so she was perfect to have on. And I have to say, Bill, Bill and I were talking about the way she explained how the vaccine works. Here's Dr. Sharon Nachman from Stony Brook talking about so that. First is remember your cells in your body read messenger RNA all the time. That's how they make proteins, the stuff that helps our cells grow and thrive and how our body grows and thrives. So the machinery in your cell is there before vaccines, after vaccines, has nothing to do with vaccines. The vaccine itself is a little snippet of messenger RNA taken similar to what the virus had. All it is, is a little bit of a message, similar to when you were in grade school and you passed a message to your friend. They read the message and they ripped it up. Your cell reads that messenger RNA. It's in a little nanoparticle. It goes into the cell. The cell says, oh, here's a message for me. Let me read it. It says, make a protein. I know how to do that. I'm a cell. I do it all the time. After I read the message, like I read any other message in your cell, I ripped it up, just like when you were in grade school and tossed the pieces out. Now the cell has made a protein called spike protein. <clears throat> just the spike protein, nothing else from the virus, it doesn't replicate, it can't grow. It's just a little piece of protein. And it goes, ugh, I don't like this protein and throws it out of the cell. Then the rest of your body's machinery says, what's this protein floating around in my bloodstream? It doesn't do anything for me. It doesn't help me. It doesn't keep me healthy. Let's get rid of it. And the rest of your cell machinery makes an antibody that attaches to the protein and trashes it. Now that you've learned to make that antibody, your body remembers how to make antibody because that's what we do as humans. Once we've made an antibody, we remember it for months, perhaps even years sometimes. So now when you see that COVID infection <clears throat> and the edge of the COVID virus is called spike protein because that's what attaches into the cell, your body's machinery says, I know that protein. I can make an antibody and get rid of it. So the antibodies that your body had already learned to make from the vaccine sees that virus and gets rid of it, and the virus never enters your cell. So good news, you stay pretty healthy. An occasional virus may enter one or two cells. You may get infected, but you're not going to really get that sick to wind up in the hospital, 
and your body takes care of it perfectly fine. Because it is messenger RNA and it sits inside the cell, it's a different language than the DNA machinery of your cell that helps you make more cells. So that messenger RNA, even though it has a similar alphabet, can't actually ever talk to your cell to change the absolute machinery of your cell and do anything to it because that's DNA and it's a different language. So the first is <coughs> the vaccine messenger gets into your cell, it gets read, and then it gets trashed. Within six hours, the message is gone, can't be read again, it's just little scraps of paper floating around that you get rid of. So that's how we make these vaccines. And both the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine use the same technology. Put it in a little piece of nanoparticle and let your cells do all the work, which they usually do. The other vaccine, the J&J &J vaccine, said, instead of me putting it in a nanoparticle, let me put it in a broken virus. And that broken virus could enter your cell, same way, reads the message, et cetera. And the broken virus doesn't ever replicate. It's not the COVID virus or anything like that. It's just a vehicle to get that message into your cell and trashes it also. So when people talk about, oh my gosh, that messenger RNA will affect the DNA, it can't because it's actually a different language. I could read the alphabet, but if you gave me something that's in Italian, I couldn't make heads or tails out of it. I don't speak Italian. So it's just letters to me. It won't mean anything at all. And in, 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 in the most simplest terms, um, that was just like a five-year-old could understand. Made, but, well, and, and help me to understand, because sometimes I feel like a five-year-old with that stuff. And it was just, she, she just, the way she explained it was just perfect. And, and I totally understand now how the vaccine works, I think, in my little five-year-old brain. Yeah, and for the first time, I feel that way. And, and, and it was important because the whole point of it was to dismiss this idea that the vaccines change your DNA. That's just nonsense. It's just not not scientifically accurate, and she explained why that was true. Uh, we also had Christine Kipley, who is a chief nursing officer at Peconic Bay Medical Center. We had uh, Dr. Frederick Weinbaum, who is the chief medical officer at Stony Brook Southampton Hospital. And we had Dr. Jeffrey Zilberstein, who is the medical director at Peconic Bay Medical Center. So it was quite a panel of medical experts. And, and I, I really do feel like um, the, the other folks we had on were Bonnie Cannon, um, who has done a lot of outreach into the black and brown communities um, through the Bridgehampton Child Care and Recreational Center. Minerva Perez from Ola of Eastern Long Island, who's done the same in the Hispanic Latino community. Peter Van Skoyek, who is the supervisor of East Hampton Town, and he has been very aggressive in getting vaccines uh, to his community, and Jesse Warren, the mayor in Southampton Village, uh, who again, from the very start, I think has been all about masks and getting vaccines to people. And Jesse actually was very aggressive in using private resources uh, to bring in more vaccines to the, to the village community. So um, the whole point of this exercise was just to try and, and address some of the misconceptions and some of the um, hesitation that's out there. Uh, we'll see if we succeeded. I mean, I, I think the big problem, and, and I'm speaking frankly now, is, you know, people ask me, how did it go? I said, I thought it was a great conversation. And it was a lot of terrific information. My concern, I don't know that the people who need to hear it are going to listen. 
I can't force people to listen to, to, the, to the exchange. I think if they do, they'll learn a lot. And I think that it would be, I will venture to say that it's impossible to come away from that conversation thinking that the vaccine is, is something you shouldn't have. I, I think under very, very certain circumstances, there are some very specific people who can't get the vaccine. And by the way, all the more reason why the people who can should get it, because those who can't get the vaccine are, are very much at risk. Um, I, I, but I don't know, are we shouting into the wind or are, are we talking to an empty auditorium? Uh, I, people need to open their ears and be willing to, to listen to facts. And, and I think that the unwillingness to do that is, is why we are where we are right now. So I'm wondering what, um, do we have any sense, like, you know, I know that during the Q and A portion or any of the pre-submitted questions, what were some of the things that stood out to you as far as the reasoning or the justification that people were looking for from the medical professionals? I'm just wondering, you know, the whole idea was to try to stay non-judgmental in the logic sure. that people were bringing to this conversation about not being vaccinated. And I'm wondering if you saw anything that stood out to you about some of the reasoning that people were expressing for not choosing to be vaccinated or pursuing this. I'll, I'll break it down. I think there were two camps. I think, I think there's one camp that the questions were based on a misunderstanding or just just misinformation about um, the situation. For instance, you know, why are vaccinated people getting sick? Isn't that evidence that the vaccine doesn't work? Well, that's a reasonable question. And I'm glad people are asking questions like that because it's important to explain. And the answer to that is, this vaccine is over 90% effective or in the ballpark of 90% effective, which is remarkable because vaccines tend not to be that effective. But every vaccine has a certain percentage of people where it's not going to work. And those are the breakthrough cases. And even in those breakthrough cases, the people who get the virus don't get nearly as sick. Christine Kipley, I know one of the other questions I got was, why are vaccinated people still getting sick then? Isn't that, isn't that evidence that the vaccine doesn't work? Can you talk about breakthrough cases and, and how that plays into this? Sure. Um, you know, I think that from the beginning, they were very clear that the vaccines are not 100% effective. Um, I don't have the exact statistics, um, but I, you know, I think they're somewhere between 85 to 90% effective. So of course, we're going to see some people just like with the flu, you always hear those one-off uh, people who say I got the flu shot and then I got the flu. They're, these are not 100% effective. But again, we can't, you know, I think all of us have said that if you are vaccinated and you should be one of those breakthrough cases, which, you know, again, we, they've been transparent from the beginning, it's going to be a much milder case. And it will almost, there's almost 100% chance that you will not be hospitalized. I mean, that's, it, that's been very clear. So um, I've, I've known people that have had these breakthrough cases and, and they really were quite mild. So that's kind of what's happening. I think, I think that's important. I think we were never promised when, when the vaccine first came out that we wouldn't get the COVID infection. We were promised that if we got the, if we got the vaccine, most likely we wouldn't end up in the hospital and we wouldn't die. And according to the medical experts on the panel, that's proven to be true. I think the other thing that's worth mentioning is that the vaccine 
was way more effective when it came out. But as people refuse to take the vaccine, the virus itself has morphed into something that the vaccine is not yet designed to specifically address. So the vaccines become less effective as fewer people take it and the virus figures out more ways to get around the vaccination. That, that being said, the vaccines are still effective in that even with the Delta variant, people aren't ending up, people who are vaccinated, aren't ending up in the hospital and aren't ending up dying. And I think that's important. I think my biggest takeaway from, from the whole, um, you know, from, from the, from the sessions is there were two descriptions by the doctors and I, I forget which one said which, but, but one, and we, and we've, we've heard this term before that it's become a, a, a pandemic of the unvaccinated, that the unvaccinated people are the, are the people that are getting sick and, and they're dying. But then I think one of the other doctors said later on that it has become a pandemic of choice. And, and I, that really struck me that people who are choosing not to get vaccinated are the ones that are being most affected by the pandemic right now. They're the ones that are, are um, you know, in, in the hospitals. They're the ones that are, are in the, um, you know, they're being intubated. And those are the ones that, that, are, that, are, that are dying. And it becomes that choice. And it's kind of hard to feel sorry for those people at that point, isn't it? Or is that too harsh? I mean, I think that I have a hard time feeling sorry because you're not just making the choice for yourself. And, you know, this is what we've talked about is, you know, you're also making the choice if you choose not to get vaccinated and still go into a restaurant or go into an indoor crowded space, you're making a choice to now with the Delta variant potentially infect children who have no choice. Right. They don't have an option to go get vaccinated or people who have compromised immune systems, you know, and I think a lot of those people are, especially with the Delta variant, you know, now once more avoiding indoor spaces. I know, you know, I have a son who's seven and he's not vaccinated. And while a month and a half ago, we felt free to go to a restaurant with him. We don't feel as free to do that anymore. But, you know, it, it's frustrating when you're seeing these mutations occur because of an adult population that has every opportunity to get vaccinated is choosing not to for political reasons or otherwise. And, you know, now my kid potentially can get sick and kids are getting sick, you know, which is another thing that this new variant, you know, has, um, has done is we're now seeing kids in ICUs for the first time during COVID. It was a really small number um, until recently. Here's Dr. Nachman talking about that. I'm hopeful that by the time winter break rolls around or January, we'll have the ability to vaccinate the five to 12 year olds with either the Pfizer or the Moderna vaccine. And that will be very exciting because our winter viruses will be around and kids will be getting sick, and it's going to be important for us to protect kids from getting hospitalized for COVID. If you look at Texas and Florida now, there's over 300 kids in hospitals with too many of them in the ICU, and unfortunately, too many of them dying as well. We don't want to see that on Long Island. So the things that everybody here is doing with regard to masking and vaccinating the adults will help save our children. And when we do have vaccines available, we want them to roll out in a timely fashion.
I read a really interesting story. I think it was last night I was on, I can't remember if it was like in the New York Times or maybe the Atlantic Monthly, um, but it was basically sort of looked at this whole issue as a larger sort of um, mentality that that we've been moving away from in the last 40 years or so. The whole idea of like the common good for society to more of a market economy where it's what's good for me is what's good for me. And that it's weird because it was really sort of applied to the idea of economics, but I think it's sort of leached over now into this idea of protecting the welfare of the community. And when you look back at like how the polio vaccine, I mean, you know, I remember having to go downtown and drink the little cup and, you know, with all of the other kids from my town in Dayton, Ohio had to go down and drink the cup. It's sort of like that whole idea of banding together for the common good has been diluted as we've moved away from um, collective helping of one another to individual freedoms, which is bizarre to me. Um, but I thought what Dr. Zilberstein said was really interesting is the idea that they have a COVID patient who was very seriously ill and um, is getting better, but he's allowing himself to be sort of a poster child for get the vaccination. Avoid. But at this point, the disease of COVID is a disease of choice and it's the choice to not vaccinate. And so the vast majority of those who are vaccinated at present are protected from the disease. They're not necessarily protected from becoming infected, but they're protected from the disease. Um, and I shared with this group before we started that um, when I was rounding in the ICU on Friday, I, um, all, all of the patients that were in the ICU who were suffering from COVID did indicate to me that they wished that they had been vaccinated and uh, one of them, we actually just recorded an interview with his permission and are going to be getting it out to media. Um, because I think that there are reasons that people are hesitant. Um, and clearly, uh, um, we as healthcare professionals are not doing a good enough job in getting the information out. So my hope is that he can be a very good uh, representation of those who are who were hesitant and now regret that choice and can hopefully help others. And I feel like that's what we need are a lot of these, um, you know, redemption stories of people who have seen the light because they've almost death, you know? Um, so I, I think that that would be a really smart way to start couching this. I have to agree with Annette, you know, I mean, I've seen a lot of those stories popping up um, at other media outlets and areas of, you know, Florida, Louisiana, um, the places that right now are just being devastated by the Delta variant. And it's a lot of stories of people from their hospital beds, sometimes before, right before they die, saying, you know what, I should have gotten the vaccine. Um, and, and, and urging all their friends and families to go get the vaccine now. Hopefully. Yeah. And so hopefully, you know, I mean, we are hearing reports about counties in Florida seeing larger numbers of people lining up to get vaccinated. You know, it's just a shame that it, you know, has to take, what is this, the third surge now? I think we're in fourth. Yeah. The other thing is, you know, I hate to say it, but when you start seeing kids die, which you're going to start seeing, especially these states where the um, governors are refusing school districts ability to put mandate mandates for masks in their own districts, you know, which is kind of ironic because you have, you know, a lot of the, uh, the conservative politics is, you know, let the, let the local municipalities decide how to run their own government. But in this case, the governor, governors who don't want the federal government to tell them what to do, want to be able to tell local municipalities what to do in terms of mask mandate. 
but you know, those kids are going to start getting sick and they're going to end up in the hospital. And it's just going to be a really horrible thing to watch. It's, it's important to note that in both Arizona and Texas, schools and municipalities are saying, yeah, whatever, we're still doing it. And, and I think that's uh, laudable. And, I, and you're absolutely right. It's, a, it's very hypocritical for conservatives to suddenly believe that allowing local communities to make that decision for themselves is, is an inappropriate thing to do, so. Well, didn't the governor of Florida tell the superintendents or teachers or whoever imposes a mass mandate, yeah. like we're gonna withhold your salaries, like they're trying to make it personal. Yeah. You're seeing school districts say, forget that, like we don't care, we're, we're still yeah. issuing a mass mandate. I mean, it's great that those people are so brave, but nobody should have to lose their house over this. Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel, be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com 27 Speaks, brought to you by Sag Harbor Books and Southampton Books independent bookstores located in the villages at 7 Main Street in Sac Harbor and 16 Hampton Road in Southampton, carrying a wide selection of new books, stationery, toys, games, first editions, and rare books. Their entire inventory is browsable on the website, SouthamptonSagHarborBooks.com. You're going to see the courts start to weigh in on these kinds of things. I mean, Ron DeSantis, the governor of Florida, had also issued a ban on um, vaccine passports, basically the requirement that we're starting to see pop up in cities across the country where you're largely unable to do a lot of indoor activities if you're not vaccinated and can show proof of it. Um, A federal judge just poked some holes in that, um, the Norwegian Cruise Line, Um, I guess had sued over that vaccine passport and they were successful, Um, you know, and I'm sure that'll be appealed, but I think you're going to start seeing um, the court start to weigh in on some of this. And I, you know, I think that obviously, you know, and hopefully they're going to be siding on, you know, smaller governments being able to control their own destiny. There's a word that I didn't think much about or hear often before the pandemic, and that was endemic. And that's what the flu is, right? We always have the flu. It's always here. It's always circulating globally. One hemisphere gets it, and then the other hemisphere gets it, and we keep kicking the ball back and forth. And every year, there's a few different strains of flu in the flu vaccine, and you could have a year where the vaccine is 40% effective, 60% effective, maybe 80% effective, if you're lucky, at preventing infection. And the reason they can't make the perfect flu vaccine is because it mutates so rapidly and there's so many different strains and they can't give you all 10 strains in circulation at the same time. They give you maybe four and they just try to get lucky and say, these are the predominant strains that we believe are going to be in circulation this flu season. Those are the ones that we're going to put into the vaccine. Let's reduce as many flu cases as we can. On the years when they misestimate which variants right or strains are going to be the most common that's when the flu vaccine is its least effective that being said least effective at preventing infections and exactly what we were saying before about the covid vaccine if you get the flu vaccine and you catch the wrong strain of flu that you're not uh, protected against infection 
you're still going to have illness that is less severe. You're going to reduce the chances that you're hospitalized or die from the flu, even if your flu vaccine was not a perfect match. I've thought going back you know, to the early days of the pandemic, when we talked about vaccine development, and there was this thought that we're going to develop a vaccine and then the pandemic's going to be over. Well, if COVID is anything like the flu, it's going to keep mutating and then it's going to be endemic. And we're all going to need our COVID vaccine every year, the same way that we're going to need our flu vaccine every year. And I thought there was some chance of that a year ago. And now I think there is a very great chance that we're all going to need COVID vaccines annually for the rest of our lives. And I'll tell you, there's one little tiny bit of a positive in all of this. And I believe it was uh, Dr. Uh, Nachman from Stony Brook who had said that future vaccines, if we need boosters against this virus, they're actually going to be relatively easy to produce if there are new variants because the delivery mechanism is very different from the flu vaccine. Um, which is a lot more complicated and that they can sort of just plug in the variants into a booster shot uh, for the vaccine for COVID in a way that would have been a lot more complicated for something like the flu. So there's a, you know, but again, it all comes back to the willingness to, to take the vaccine and, and, you know, to come full circle back to the original question, which is what kinds of questions did we get? I think that there were some legitimate questions like, you know, why are vaccinated people still getting sick? And, um, you know, one of the great questions we got that I think was an important one, because I had noticed this myself, um, a Sag Harbor subscriber, um, an older woman with health issues said that my vaccine ID card says it's good until September 19th. So does that mean I have to go get a booster shot now after September 19th? And the answer to that, to everybody who's noticed this is no. Those cards have a date on them only for basically paperwork purposes. Your vaccine does not expire on September 19th or anything like that. Uh, booster shots are gonna start to come into play now for people with uh, compromised immune systems, but it's not something the general public needs to get yet. That's something to keep an eye on going forward. Dr. Nachman, one of our readers, and I noticed this the other day too on my Empire Pass, uh, that she said her vaccination ID says it's good until September 19th. And so her question is, um, does she need to get a booster shot because the card says it's really only through September 19th? Is that something so to worry I think, about? I, it is not something to worry about. And when they set up the cards originally and they set up the online system, they set it up for six months and then they extend it for a year. So if you are on the online system from the state, you just go back in and it recycles it and registers it for another year. So no, that is not a worry. It is sort of the leftovers from when the vaccines were originally approved and is really not because your vaccine card has expired in any way. And, and she said so that you, want, you can go to your phone app after the expiration date and just re redownload it or however that worked and it will update with a with a new with a new with a new expiration it'll just basically add a year to it yeah exactly so so there were questions like that but then i have to say and this gets to the heart of our conversation i think is a lot of the questions that we did receive when we reached out to people and and people who took advantage of the opportunity to submit questions 
were a lot more aggressive. And it was about, why aren't you talking about the thousands of people who are dying from the vaccine? So we posed that question directly to the medical staff and, and are there thousands of people dying of the vaccine? And the answer is no. Uh, um, what's, what's interesting about this is that there have, been, there have been adverse reactions that have been documented and not hidden at all. As a matter of fact, that's why there was a pause with one of the vaccines as we were looking into the data more, more carefully. So the facts are is that some people got the vaccine and then may have died from a heart attack two days later, but those, those were cases that were looked at and it was determined that it was true, true and unrelated. No, period. It's that simple. That's just inaccurate that that's happening. And, and a lot of the questions were obviously people re, re, uh, repeating things that they've seen online and they've seen on Facebook. And a lot of the pseudoscience that is, is circulating in the anti-vaccine community is just easily debunked, but you have to be ha willing to listen to experts uh, that you trust. When people say, I have to do my own research, um, I, have a, I, I have a challenging time trying to come up with an answer to that because not everybody is equipped to do the same level of research as the FDA and the CDC and all of the scientists that have been associated with this. So I would encourage people not necessarily to do their own research, but to make sure that they're reading the right things and talking to the right people. Because when people say, I'm gonna do my own research, my fear is that they go to Facebook or they Google it. Um, and you know they, they don't necessarily go to the authoritative literature. I believe again, it was Dr. Nachman who said, you don't take your car to a mechanic that has never seen it before and you've never had contact before with before, if you have a mechanic who's dealt with your car on a regular basis and you know you can trust them, talk to your doctors and your doctors here are the people who will give you that information. And we had a whole bunch of them on this panel who were united in saying, there is just no good reason, uh, except for some very specific cases, why you shouldn't be taking the vaccine and, and essentially Everybody should consult with their doctor about that. It just really is that simple. And we, I think we may need to start talking about it in those terms. If you think the vaccine is dangerous, you're wrong. It's not. It's not dangerous. And, and one of the most frustrating things for me is when people say, well, but in three years, people are going to get sick and wait, watch and see what happens. And it's like, well, you know, what is it? 600,000 Americans have died of COVID and are actively dying as we speak of this virus right now that's in front of us. And you're worried about some disorder four years from now that you just made up. It doesn't exist. It's a fantasy. And that scares you more than what's actively killing people right now. It, it, there's a lack of logic um, in, in the argument. And I, I don't know how you get through to people at this point. I think there are some people who some of it is access. I mean, some, some people work jobs that they're scared to get the vaccine for fear that they're going to go down sick for a day in the summer when they might lose their job if they're home sick from work. And there are folks in, in the African-American community 
who clearly have hesitation about this for trust reasons. And that's something that, again, the entire panel agreed is something that needs to be addressed. But it's 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 a tough that's a tough thing to get past. I think what's ironic is that, you know, maybe we don't know the long term effects of these vaccinations 10 years from now, but we know the long term effects of COVID. And a lot of times it's death. So if that's, you know, what people are okay with taking the risk. I think it's also interesting that, you know, someone who people who would normally go to their doctor for all sorts of advice, will not go to their doctors for this particular issue. Um, And Joe, you had sent around an interesting story about um, people who are now resorting to taking like a a, an animal deworming uh, medication. Ivermectin. Yeah, it's a it's a it's it's used on farms uh, on farm animals. And thank you, Internet. And thank you, social media for now making this uh, you know, the, the, the new version of the, hey, this is the, the one doctors won't tell you about. And so Farm Agway and, and, and other stores that sell farm supplies are having to put up signs that say, this isn't for human, con- you should not be using this for any, it, it, there is no medical evidence that it does anything. And it could kill you. I, I mean, I think, I think all along we've seen quack medicine um, floating around and, and, you know, we're, we're not going to get past, we're not going to get past that with some people, but I hope we can appeal to, to people to use a little more logic and, and it's easy to throw stones at, at things, but, but, you know, a lot of this is about a lack of trust of the government and a lack of trust of medical professionals. And that's something that's been sown in the last few years that it's going to be hard to pull those up. It's going to, you know, the roots go deep with that stuff also a little frustrating because so I think there are a few camps of people who are choosing to not be vaccinated for various reasons there are some people who are opposed to vaccination in general um, and that's why they are not getting vaccinated Um, then there's like this political you know it's pro-Trump to not get vaccinated Um, so there's all of these different camps but What's interesting is a few of those camps um, are also really opposed to mask mandates, to cities shutting down again, to businesses being forced to close again. And it's like, I don't understand how these two things marry, (laughs) you know, if you don't want to have to deal with mask mandates in your community, if you don't want businesses to have to require to see your vaccination card in order to allow you entry. Um, you know, if you don't want all of these controls, there's a really simple way. And that's just like more and more people getting vaccinated. And look at the number of people that had to have double lung transplants, you know, um, already. I mean, young people, I mean, can you, you really would rather go through that than get two shots? I just can't imagine. Stress the young people part too, because um, talking to the, the hospital folks, we now are seeing new cases in the local hospitals and they're among younger people as well. It's not just older people who are ending up in the hospital now, it's younger people who are ending up on ventilators or ending up on supplemental oxygen to just get through this disease. It's, it's, it, it's, you have to ignore so many facts 
to think that you're not at risk. And no matter how old you are, you're at risk. You know, I, I have a child who happened to have been sick for a few years when he was really young. And, you know, so I've been in a hospital with my own child watching them suffer. And, you know, the idea that you wouldn't do everything in your power to not just protect yourself and your family, but, you know, children in general and your community in general is kind of a foreign idea to me. I just wanted to go back to one thing that had, Annette had said, and you, people are afraid of the long-term effects of the vaccination, but, you know, the, the effects of, of getting sick or, or from COVID or dying. But there are also, you need to remember, and I think this was brought up at the sessions too, and a couple of the doctors mentioned, that there are long-term lifetime effects for COVID for a lot of people. Breathing, breathing issues, and and being tired, and um, just all kinds of horrible stuff that that can stick with you. We don't know for how long, for the rest of your life, maybe, and and they don't get better. A lack of taste and smell. How'd you like to go through the rest of your life without that? You know, I don't know. I I don't know what you can tell people, but it's a statistic that's been repeated a hundred times. It's not new, and it feels like a trump card to me, no pun intended, uh, to for this whole argument, which is. 99% of the deaths at this point are unvaccinated people. It's, it's just that that doesn't happen in science and medicine very often where you have a number that high. Um, it, it's, it's just as simple as that. This is now a, a disease that it's a disease that's going to affect people without a vaccine. But the problem is the longer it hangs around, the more chance that we'll have new variants and now suddenly uh, we may find a variant that that the vaccines don't work against, and we may all start. We may be back to square one. It's a it's a terrifying it's a terrifying time. It really is. Well, and and for every person that ends up in in the ICU and ends up on a ventilator, that's one bed that's being taken away from somebody who comes into the hospital with um, with 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 heart issues or with with other non-COVID medical conditions that that could be treated well better in the ICU, but they have to be treated on the floor. Um, and, and one of the doctors was was bringing that up. And, and so again, that's that community health aspect that it's not just you that, that's being affected if, if you get sick. So Georgie, I was going to ask you, you're the only one here with a young child. And I wonder, like you talk with other moms or other people in the school district about um, you know, what's your policy if you know, for example, that your child is friends with somebody and you're not positive they're vaccinated? Do you want to know before playdates happen that another family is a believer in vaccinations? I just wonder what precautions you can take as far as your kids socializing. It's pretty frustrating right now for a lot of us that have children under the age of 12 because prior to the Delta variant, you know, you weren't super nervous about your children getting sick because it was such a small percentage of that population that was even getting COVID. Um, but now that you're seeing those numbers go up right before school starts, it's really frustrating. I mean, fortunately, all of the local school districts so far um, that our reporters are covering are following CDC and um, APA guidelines for children under the age of 12 in their recommendations for what schools need to do when they reopen, which is everybody needs to wear a mask from faculty to staff to children to visitors to a school building. Um, and I think for the time being, um, 
you know, that's the safest way forward. I appreciate that there are families that have children who may have breathing issues that masks become an issue for. And I understand that wearing a mask for eight hours a day is not an ideal situation for a child. But I just think given how um, virulent the Delta variant is, this is just the best way forward for our kids. Um, I mean, look, I think that during this whole, during COVID in general, a lot of us with children have really limited our exposure to other people in general. Um, you know, but I think we all did that as families, whether we had kids or not. I mean, last year it was like you, if you were lucky, you had a little pod that you were with, maybe one other family. Um, and that was kind of it because that's what we were all supposed to do to keep each other safe. And in a lot of ways for myself, you know, we're kind of going back to that. It does feel like I'm taking steps backwards. Whereas two months ago, you know, my husband and I, like I said, felt free to take our children to a restaurant. Um, my husband and I, without our kids, they didn't come with us. We went and saw a concert in New Haven, <laughs> concert venue, you know. A very 2019 of you. You know, I have tickets for another show to see the Avid Brothers in November that I'm going to guess is probably not going to happen now. Um, so, you know, I think that we're all just kind of pulling back and being a little bit more conservative about what we would do. Personally, I would not be comfortable um, sending my children to somebody's house if I knew that adults in that family were choosing to not be vaccinated. I mean, until, until my son can be vaccinated, you know, it's, it's nerve wracking because of course what they're talking about with Delta is that like I, for example, who am fully vaccinated or my daughter or my husband all fully vaccinated, we could go to said concert venue or restaurant. And, you know, while we're protected from being hospitalized, like Bill said, the likelihood is so incredibly small that even if we got COVID that we would be really sick we are, can carry COVID at the same level as an unvaccinated person home to our unvaccinated family member. And that's terrifying, you know, because one of the great freedoms that we felt a couple of months ago being vaccinated was, ah, oh, you know, we're safe and Charlie can't get vaccinated, but none of us can really get COVID. So, you know, even if we do, we're probably not going to pass it to him. We're not carrying the viral load that an unvaccinated person would carry well that's all out the door now so it's it's definitely frustrating yeah, but but that that comes back to the to to the to the propaganda that it's you know that it's either not real or it's not as deadly as they say or it doesn't make you as sick or if i get it i'm not going to get real sick and you know and i don't know how you i don't know how you cut through that denial and that propaganda. If people don't believe that that COVID is what what it is, then then how do you convince them to get a vaccination or to wear a mask? I certainly feel robbed by this. I feel robbed by the Delta variant. And you see all the memes of like, you know, my fall plans and the Delta variant. And I think my fall plans was Nancy Kerrigan and the Delta variant was uh, Tanya Harding. I was supposed to go to a conference in New Orleans for the Society of Professional Journalists in September, uh, you know, Labor Day weekend, and that is no longer happening in person. I did not buy my plane tickets yet because I was anticipating it was going to get canceled. And just about the time where I was like, oh, I really better get on that and get those plane tickets. Sure enough, they canceled all the in-person portion of the event for an event where better than 99% of people would have been vaccinated. 
the you know the conference organizers could have just said if you are not vaccinated and you don't show proof of vaccine stay home and we could have had a conference with a bunch of vaccinated people but nobody even wants to take the risk of people spreading the delta variant among themselves being asymptomatic and then going home and spreading it to more people so i just feel like i i did do everything right i got my vaccine card right here i got it as soon as i was eligible april 2nd was my first dose april 23rd was my second dose and now i can't go to new orleans for a conference for a long weekend because of everybody else who can't get on board I think of World War II where everybody was like, you know, do, do you hear the stories about women drawing lines on their leg instead of using a nylon sock? So it looked like they had a nylon sock with a seam and kids were collecting aluminum for the war effort. And the Food Administration of the United States was encouraging people to plant victory gardens. So we, we would have food security in our country and we could feed troops overseas. The coronavirus has killed is it more than 600,000 Americans now? Am I right? More people than what, any war in the United States history? And we can't rally as a country to stop an existential threat. What's wrong with us? We literally can't roll up our sleeves. The one thing that I found that was very sort of heartening from the session the other day was I liked what Minerva was saying, and I think Bonnie as well, and the whole idea that they're seeing success and really getting out and, you know, not trying to do this on a massive scale, but really getting out into the communities. And maybe, you know, maybe that's going to be the effort door to door. And like with, with people who look like um, those who need to get vaccinated, you know, really maybe sending out, you know, like vaccination bands that go to neighborhoods. And, you know, I could see that sort of being a successful way to get, especially the reluctant populations. And it's, it's also about access too. And I think, I think to some degree it, it, you know, just saying, Hey, there's free clinic. You can go anytime you want. Well, so there's a lot of people working two and three jobs and especially this time of year. And as I said, there's some nervousness about getting the vaccine, but, but, you know, there, there are some facts that, that are positives that we need to keep in mind too. Um, Suffolk County is actually ahead of the national rate. We're about 58.6% fully vaccinated. The, the nation's about 50%. Anecdotally, at least, the South Fork is even higher. Um, the numbers here have been astoundingly high. And that makes me think, you know, I think there was some hesitation about some of the numbers because uh, they were a little too close to 100% in certain hamlets and, and villages. Uh, nobody's on, we, we, we haven't reached 100% vaccination anywhere. And, and so those numbers are probably a little bit off, but at least anecdotally, there's been a, a, a good response locally. And that's great. And I mean, I think that will help us keep this thing in check locally, but this is also a national problem and it's also a global problem. Um, you know, there's a lot of the, the world that's not vaccinated and every human being, every human body can host this thing. And every time somebody hosts it, there's a risk of it um, becoming another variant. Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, going back to the medical community, we've been talking a lot about this this week. You know, I mean, I really hope that hospitals are mandating um, COVID vaccines because the idea that like, you know, my kid could like break his arm and need to go to an emergency room. And now on top of just that trauma, I have to wonder 
if everybody in the facility has been vaccinated, even though, of course, I appreciate we'll all be wearing masks and, you know, doing all of the protocols. I mean, that's really stressful. I, you know, I remember, you know, just, I guess it was a couple of weeks ago, we started talking about that, like the numbers of people in the medical community and working in nursing homes that were vaccinated. And I was kind of shocked that it actually wasn't already pretty much mandated that if you were going to work with the senior community in a nursing home or work in an emergency room that you wouldn't have to be vaccinated. Um, I, I guess I was pretty naive um, on that front. But you are starting to see hospitals issue those mandates and you're seeing cities that are now like Los Angeles County, um, San Francisco, um, New York, you're starting to see cities and whole municipalities say, well, if you're not vaccinated, you know, not only can you not maybe work in A, B or C, but you can't go indoors to restaurants or enjoy theater, Broadway, you have to show vaccination if you're going to be getting in, even locally at Guild Hall. If you want to see a production that's being held inside at Guild Hall, you have to be vaccinated. I think you're going to see more of that. And it's going to unfortunately, I think, make this division um, probably greater between people and make it even a more divisive argument, which is unfortunate. We're lucky that we live in a country that can offer vaccinations to to, to pretty much everybody. Um, imagine being in a country or on a continent where, where the vaccination availability is still in, in less than 10%. And those people looking, what, what must they think about the, the, the reluctance here for people that could get vaccinated and can't when they're watching their friends and neighbors and family die you know, every day and, and still in huge numbers? I'll tell you too, after the fact, um, after we do an event like this express sessions event that we did, um, I always regret the one thing I didn't bring up. And there was one question that I had to ask and I, I quite frankly ran out of time, but it was, it was a, and, it, and I kicked myself after because it's one I really wanted to ask while we had some, some medical professionals um, on the panel. And that is one of the things that, that baffles me about this is the vaccine hesitancy in the medical community. The medical community itself is vaccinated at about the same rate as the larger community. I believe the study I saw said about 70% of medical professionals are vaccinated, but there is you know that 30% that's out there that that hasn't been vaccinated and you have to assume at this point is not going to get vaccinated and i don't understand that in a, a logical sense and i worry because you know it feeds all of the 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 conspiracy theories that say well why aren't doctors and nurses 100% aligned with this and and the the answer to that i'm guessing is that doctors and nurses are people too. And there's a percentage of people in the medical profession who just think differently. And, and it's the same group of people who are vaccine hesitant for political reasons and other stuff. I think that's probably what it is. But because they're medical professionals, it lends this whole nervousness about maybe they know something that we don't know and maybe they're they're not willing to follow the 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 company line with the fact that the vaccines are maybe they're the heroes here by not getting it and it just feeds 
the mentality that keeps people from getting the vaccine. And I find that I would love to hear, I, I wish while I had them in front of me, I would have been able to ask the doctors uh, and nurses about that. But I, I also suspect that they won't really have a clear answer. I was just thinking, I think what's also kind of funny is the people who may be um, not interested in getting vaccinated because they're aligned with Trump. Um, I mean, Trump is vaccinated, you know, so that's the thing you, I would, I thought when, when Trump got, you know, vaccinated, it was too bad. He didn't make a bigger show of getting vaccinated. You know, he sort of kept it on the down low apparently, but um, what a good opportunity that would have been to show people, look, it's not harmful in your, you know, the man that you admire is getting it himself. But I just think that's very bizarre because I feel like a lot of the disinformation is coming from some of these news channels. And I'm pretty sure that probably most of the people that are disseminating it have themselves been vaccinated. My, my, my guess, my guess, and I had a, a family member, and I don't want to get specific, who was um, in the medical community and they were a doctor or a nurse. They were, um, they were phlebotomists. They drew blood and, and work, you know, lab work and stuff. And my, my guess is a little bit of knowledge is dangerous because in, in that person, I used to see because they were in the medical community, they tended to think they knew more and were connected more <clears throat> with medical facts and medical ideas and stuff than, than the average person. I mean, this person um, who basically drew, drew blood was quick to be back in those days, it would be like WebMD. It would be like, you know, giving you advice on any ailment that you had because they were in that community and they heard things in that community or, or whatever. So, I mean, that's, it's just a guess, but my guess is that, that, that there's just a, a mentality in that community that maybe they know better or they, you know, hear a little bit of this and a little bit of that and, and make a decision. You know, what else is unfortunate is we're going to work our way through the Greek alphabet. You know, we're going Epsilon, Zeta, Eta, Theta, Iota. <laughs> Brendan actually sent out our, the amazing Brendan O'Reilly. One of his many things that he does for the company is, you know, remind us about things that we're missing when it comes to AP style in our, you know, weekly newspapers. And so after we're done editing on Wednesdays, he sends out this wonderful Styles Matter email that I really love. And he had, he started, you know, kind of rattling out how we were supposed to deal with variants in terms of capitalizations. And he got to Lambda and I was like, really? Like, I didn't even know we were there yet. And of course, he gave me a little lesson in variants and Lambda. Omega. Omega is the one that we're working our way toward. God help us if we run out of letters. I mean, they could always go back and just do double alpha, double double beta. Hurricane names. Well, what's, what's weird is I don't understand what the Delta Plus variant is and how it's different than a new named variant. And I'm sure there's an explanation, but it just goes above my head because I'm not a, a you know, doctor, scientist, immunologist. But also, well, the Lambda variant isn't even like a brand new variant. Like I was looking up, the Lambda variant's old. The Lambda variant is from like last year, but it's coming. It's coming to the United States at some point. It's so bizarre. Weren't they saying, I think Lambda is in South America primarily, but has also been seen in... Texas um, already. But what about Kappa? We totally missed Kappa. It must not have been so bad, you know? <laughs> they seem to just be jumping around with no regard for alphabetical order. Maybe it is like hurricanes where they're assigned and some of them go away without us even knowing they existed. And then others become full strength. And those are the ones you're like, wait a minute, we, we were missing three in between there. Maybe the three in between just sort of like, you know, go away. I think that's like another question we need to ask a doctor. <laughs> because we obviously have no clue. 
There's a couple of takeaways, and one of them is the vaccine is safe. You are not, your DNA is not being altered by the vaccine. It's a very simple vaccine because viruses are actually fairly simple. Um, they just, you know, but they are aggressive and they're hard to, to defeat without a vaccine. Uh, it's safe to get a vaccine. Most of us who got the vaccine didn't have adverse effects from it. Those who did had them for a day or two and they went away. It's, it's not a, 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 it shouldn't really be a major factor in your decision. And also it's important to note that the breakthrough cases for vaccinated people remain very rare. I mean, they're less than one in 10 people who have been vaccinated um, get the COVID virus. So they're very effective as well. There's just no real logical reason not to get it. You're not too young to get sick. It's not just like the flu and you'll get through it and you're fine. If you've already had it, you still should get the vaccine. The doctors confirmed that, that even if you've had COVID, get the vaccine. You'll actually be extra protected, but you're not protected enough just from the antibodies from having the virus, the vaccine adds to that protection. And there are numerous um, instances of people who had COVID more than once. So, um, you know, it's, it's just, there are facts out there. Um, this goes back to a whole, you know, I taught for a couple of semesters at Stony Brook in the news literacy program. And the whole idea of news literacy is you need to be able to understand what you're getting and where you're getting it from and what the biases are and what they aren't. And, uh, you know, we talk to medical experts. These are folks who know what they're talking about. They care about the local community. We talk to local activists who care about this community. Um, nobody has any ulterior motives. There's, there's no good reason not to get a vaccine. I'm sorry, you, you may be shouting at the, you know, at the podcast right now and that you know better, but you don't. It's you, what you know is not correct. The correct information is out there. You just have to find it and you have to be willing to listen to it. And I think also you have to remember that it's not just about you too. I mean, and I, and I think that that's something that's really important to stress is that, you know, if we're going to push past this, it's incumbent on everybody to do their part and get vaccinated. Otherwise it's going to be really hard for us to push past this. And you could also be putting children at risk or people who have compromised immune systems. Like, why do you want that responsibility on your shoulders? You know, it's, it has to be a communal effort and we have to be thinking about more than just ourselves. So this is like our new victory garden. V for victory. Go out and get a vaccine. For vaccine. <laughs> Roll up your sleeve for the community and get to work. That's it. That's right. Peace out, man. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com.
27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com, and SagHarborExpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.